work. All right, hey, if we've got kids with us today, uh, they're going to be released to the other side of the sanctuary, known as planet Earth over there. Uh, Jay Goon is right there. Kids, K through 5, you can be released for your lesson and your activity. And I feel like I'm being fully ignored. If you are at home streaming with us, you don't know that I'm being ignored, uh, but I am. Zoe, thank you. (laughs) They are so enjoying my preaching. Praise God. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And as you uh, turn there, I will admit, I do have a slight fear that I will be attacked by an osprey out here. There are two or three osprey that live in the woods behind us. So if you see me run, it's because I am fully aware that I might be attacked and pecked to death. And I assume all of you will come to my aid? Not a single one. All right. Loved by the church. All right, Romans chapter 8. Let's read our passage of Scripture. This is Paul speaking to the church at Rome. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Skip down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, say the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes that with us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what it is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Say good. For those who are called according to his purposes. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your presence. And uh, we just ask as we give you these moments, Lord, we we pray for um, just you to continue to mold us, shape us, make us more into your image in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. You know, all of our conversations here at Life Church are aimed at practical application. Heaven, heaven, not just over there after we transition from this life, uh, over there and then, but also here and now. We find this reality of heaven uh, to be the intent of Jesus. And Jesus is the exaltation of such. He is our advocate, yes. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, absolutely. But Jesus is also our example. He's fully God. And he also offers us a way to go. He is God with skin. The fact of the matter is, and I want to be honest this morning, and we need to, I believe, acknowledge this simple thing. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but I believe that our times, our current moments, aren't necessarily more turbulent than former times. If you go back and you study any mode of history throughout human and just mankind in general, there are seasons of plagues. There are seasons of ups and downs, civil unrest. I mean, come on, somebody. Just some years ago, different conversations and different things. I mean, it always kind of feels like the world is kind of coming apart at its seams. And I will grant you that everything just feels a little bit closer right now, even intimate. 
Because the conversations we are all entering into, the conversations we are a part of, whether it's uh, white privilege or socioeconomic privilege or uh, racism or systemic racism or just the simple fact that we are all living through a worldwide pandemic, we are all in it. Are you with me today? Every one of us, no one is left out. Nobody is unfazed. And this is why we are having a conversation on reset. Reset, a divine approach to our earthy affairs. And so a few weeks ago, I preached the message, Productive Suffering. And last week, I, we, had, we carried on that conversation, Productive Suffering Revisited, because I felt like we bit off a little bit more than we could chew, and I wanted to dial it in. And so this week, if you're taking notes, the title of our conversation is, Productive suffering revisited again. Because sometimes repetition is the heart of learning, but it also gives us opportunity to really receive and digest what God is inviting us into. As we have been looking in this passage of Scripture, Romans 8, particularly within the filtration system of Romans 8:28, for we know that all things work together for good. Not necessarily enjoyable, but influential. Not necessarily worth our praise but something that is going to be producing his promises in us. So let's recall, as we're looking at players, last week we talked again about points, and this week I want to return to the conversation of players in verses 19 through 21. And recall that suffering, suffering in the wisdom and the biblical tradition, is not for recompense. It's not because we are being punished it's not because it's, we are getting our just reward, but it leans us towards revealing. Suffering leads us towards revealing. My wife and I have a lot of marital conversations. Do I have any honest married people in the church today? Marital conversations that tend to get maybe slightly a little bit heightened in blood pressure. Are you with me? And we have conversations, and, and it might be as simple about uh, what are we going to have for dinner? What are we having for breakfast? What are we going to do with this kid? What are we going to do with that kid? How are we going to make our life happen? Hey, you didn't tell me that you bought a new cooler when I thought the old cooler that didn't work is still fine, although you look like an idiot dragging it across the beach because it doesn't fall out. Are you with me today? And so even the most mundane conversations end up becoming a heated conversation. But even in those moments, we have opportunities, as painful as they might be. And I could use the word of, it's uncomfortable, and there's a little bit of pressure. But the fact of the matter is, those conversations can also, reality, be very painful. And even, I'll be honest with you today, as a husband to Tanya, sometimes in the midst of our conversations, I feel a little bit like I'm suffering. Anybody allowing me to come home with you for lunch? But it feels like I'm suffering. I know my wife feels like I'm suffering. Suffering is not meant to be painful. It's meant to bring revelation. And so when we step into that discomfort, we have to recognize God wants us to lean towards unpacking something. So verses 19 through 20 of Romans chapter 8, a quick reminder of the players there are essentially two. There's creation, he mentions. Katissus is the original language, and that just means the world. It doesn't mean world order. It just means everything that exists, everything that is created. And Paul mentions the sons of God and the children of God. 
He's writing to those beloved, not just believers. We referenced that in the beginning of, of Romans. First, the fact that these players are being mentioned together, creation and sons of God or children of God, the fact that these players are being mentioned together is instructive. Paul is making a point here that there are strings attached. Creation and sons of God or children of God. There are strings attached. So as one goes, so does the other. Are you with me today? So as one moves, as one is healthy, the other will be healthy. As one is unhealthy, the other is unhealthy. There are strings attached to our world, all of creation, and mankind. And Paul isn't making this up by himself. He's pulling from the Genesis narrative, the creation narrative, for his inspiration. First in functionality, it's in the garden, it's in creation that this mankind is first blessed and then God declares, hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. Everything he speaks to mankind is based in relation to and connection with all of creation. They are not to be separated one from another. Hey, Adam, Eve, name the animals, tend the garden. God is simply saying, do your job. Before Bill Belichick ever existed, God said to all mankind, hey, do your job. Be connected. Be invested. Because as one goes, so goes the other. Furthermore, when you drill down into earth in the Hebrew language, the word for earth in the Hebrew language is aldama which is where we derive the name of the first human, Adam, which essentially means dirt man, earth man. I mean, come on, church. That's, you can't get more obvious of an illustration than earth man, dirt man. There is an intimate connection. There's a, there's a string definitely attached between who we are and where we are. Now, in addition to the creation and children of God connection, there's also the plural issue. As Paul is writing, he always says, sons of God, children of God. Now, please, let's not be dissuaded by the fact that he says sons. Where are all the daughters in the house? Where are the ladies in the house? That's not, this is meant to be a mankind communication, sons and children. But regardless of that, as we can move beyond not just a masculine reading, but all of mankind, all of all humans, that it is always Plural. Now, if nothing else lands from all of my words today, I pray that these next few sink deep into every person's soul. The pronoun of choice in our day and age, particularly in America, is I. What I mean by that is how we enter into conversations how we enter into our realities, how we enter into what we want to do, how we want to live, our frame of reference for our day and age, and America in particular, is I. I am the reference point for healthy. I am the reference point for good. I am the reference point for not good, not unhealthy, so on and so forth. The pronoun of heaven, the kingdom of God, is we. The pronoun of heaven, the kingdom of God, the economy of Jesus Christ is we. Therefore, as we enter into conversations, as we enter into 
trying to figure out, is this good? Is this healthy? Our frame of reference is not just I, not just me, not just myself, but we. Within the scriptures even, justice in the Old Testament, which transfers over to the New Testament, the whole notion of Jewish justice is not right and wrong, but does everybody have enough? Anytime you read about justice in all of scriptures, it's not speaking to right and wrong. It's speaking to, is everybody cared for? Is everybody okay? Is everybody having enough? Paul speaks to this in Ephesians 4 and 5 as he is calling us to be, as he writes it, imitators of God. And how we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, the invitation of God, which involves humility, gentleness, and patience. These aren't things that we do alone, church. You can't be humble by yourself. Are you with me now? You think you're humble, and then you get married. You think you're humble in your marriage, and then you have a kid. And then you have another kid. And then you have another, and then you meet people, and you have friends. And all of a sudden you realize, I'm not as humble as I thought I was. These things get worked out. But Paul writes in Ephesians, he says that we must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another, because the frame of reference is no longer I, but we. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He goes on to write one of his passages where he kind of elevates and he's getting kind of cranked up. He says, one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we read passages like that, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, above all, in all, through all, if we engage that with an eye frame of reference, we eternally debate who's right and who's wrong. But that is not the place of the scriptures. One faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all. We are to read that with a we context. In Romans chapter 12, there's a, whew, there's a passage of scripture. Verses 9 all the way down through 21. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's just too hard. But verse 12, excuse me, verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Church, we are meant to have a we context. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Well, what if I don't feel like rejoicing? That's not what the Bible says. Weep with those who weep. Well, they're hurting. That's their deal. No, 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 no. We context. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, which means proud or prideful, but associate yourself with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, not them, you, live peaceably with all. There's a moment in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, a familiar story or narrative that Jesus is once again being tested and asked the question about what's the great commandment. And he's being asked, what's the great commandment? And in Luke chapter 10, he answers correctly, of course, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy asks a follow-up question. Anybody have a follow-up question for Jesus? 
follow-up question, if I may. Who is my neighbor? And the Bible says he asks that question because he's a jerk. No, that's not what the Bible says. But essentially, the Bible says he asks this question because he wanted to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story. Now, I want all of us to understand it's one thing when Jesus comments on things that are happening around him. It's completely different when Jesus is making the story up. Because when Jesus is making the story up, he is in full control and he knows each and every little thing that he's doing. Are you with me today? There are teaching moments with my children, and there are other times where I'm like, hey, look, imagine if. And when I start in on imagine if, Ace is like, oh, boy, here we go. Like, Dad's really gearing into it. But if I'm just taking something that's happened around me, that's one thing. Jesus is like, okay, I'll answer this question by giving you an illustration. He says, there's this guy that's on a journey, and he gets robbed, and he gets thrown into a ditch. And then he goes on and says, and a a Levite goes by. Levites, uh, the priestly order, those who would be of high degree goes by and they see him lying in the ditch and he goes to the other side. Then a priest goes by, again, of a similar order, those who are to be respected and honored. He sees the man in the ditch and goes the other side. And then a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, comes on the road. Now understand, Jesus is in full control of the story. It's not just a person. It's not just another Levite or another priest. It's a Samaritan. Why does it matter that it's a Samaritan? Because a Samaritan was someone that that priest, that Levite, the scholar who's asking the question, all who are listening would have routinely removed themselves from. Samaritans were not only to not be mixed with, but they were to be dispurged. They were to be downcast. They were to be condemned. Oh, they're gross. They're less than. They're, They're the problem. And it's this divide that Jesus says not only did those people pass by the wounded man but that guy that you have been refusing and abhorring for generations went and did what was right intimately speaking to a we context we all do this church we all lean to an I frame of reference this is why we need a reset as a hypothetical situation when some person or some persons some section of society as the case may be when someone is sharing their own personal revelation of affliction they have been afflicted they have been abused they are in a moment where they are realizing even a deep cultural ache and again maybe it's a singular person maybe it's your spouse maybe it's your child how many times have my children come running to me with a hurt or a frustration or a stubbed toe and I try and convince them it's not that bad why because I don't want to deal with it just being honest today So whether it's a singular person or a section of society that says, I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm coming to a revelation, there's something wrong, there's something off. It does not need to become an attack. It does not need to become an attack that requires a juxtaposed defensive stance. (laughs) Right? or argumentative justification through through some self-saving explanation that attempts to prove their pain wrong. Well, it's not that bad. 
You don't really understand. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't them. I mean, come on, let's uh, Are you with me this morning? When those revelations are happening, it doesn't have to be an attack. It can just be what it is, a suffering moment that leads us towards revealing. Let's talk about the Fehrenbach marriage again, shall we? I'm already knee deep, let's go all the way in. So many times we have conversations and people talk about, well, I had to really bite my tongue or I had to do, like I developed this phrase and I said, it's not like I have to bite my tongue, it's more like biting my soul. Just listen, listen, don't put on, like really listen. You know, don't husbands, are you with me today? Don't do the like, I'm listening, I'm listening, but you're not paying attention. Like, just listen, just listen. And the pain that a conversation causes me and the pain that a conversation causes Tanya is leaning us towards a moment of revealing and unpacking a greater intimacy with and for one another. It's not always balloons being blown up and unicorns and butterflies dancing around our realities. Sometimes it just is what it is, it's painful, and it causes suffering that leans us towards a revealing. But I'll be honest with you, there are so many times that my wife is 100% right, but how she says it, I can make her 1,000% wrong. And I have to pause and just listen and receive, rather than saying, well, if she had just said it this way, if they had just communicated it like that, if they had done it like this, Removing the they context and understanding that what she or he or they is saying is in a greater we. And I know this is different. I know it's not what the common mode is or custom is. But according to the scriptures, the love of Christ compels us. The ministry of reconciliation has within it this phrase that talks about the love of Christ compelling us. And that word compel means to give guardrails to. If you were to pour water out and just let it go free, it would kind of go everywhere. But the, the, the language there means that something would be poured out and moved into a direction. The love of Christ compels us to do everything that we can to stay with, to be reconciled one to another. And let's get real practical today. As we find ourselves perhaps communicating being in pain, or listening to those who are communicating their pain. If you are communicating something to someone today that's hurtful, that you're in a place of pain, be aware of unhealthy telling that is or can be perceived as assaulting. Understand that how you communicate intimately connects what you are trying to say. Try not to be assaulting with your communication. And I understand there are moments when we are filled with pain and we tend to rise with our emotions, but understand how that comes across makes a difference, church. If you're receiving it today, be aware of unhealthy receiving that is unnecessarily sensitive and bent on self-saving. And I want to acknowledge the fact that healthy is hard. Healthy is hard, church. The tide of our culture 
will sweep us into me, myself, and I. The tide of our circumstance will make us easily frustrated, angry, and bend ourselves around saving only ourselves, taking care of ourselves at the cost of somebody else. And let me say this. When you have those interactions and someone is saying something that you vociferously disagree with, remind yourself, we're we, we're we, we're we. And kind always begets kind. We feel justified when that person is wrong, when that person is mean, then I should be mean. Kind begets kind. So when that meanness comes out, if you are able to translate that by the grace of God into something that is kind, that is honoring, you will be shocked to watch that your kind will beget kind from that person. This is why Jesus says, turns the other cheek. This is why Jesus in the Gospels speak to so many things that you get one way, give it back to him another way. Because the reality is, kind begets kind. My wife and I, we are humans. We've had three children, they're all humans. Rocket science, church. There are no camels having baby zebras. So, don't be surprised that when something angry comes your way, that if you give anger back, that more anger is going to come to you. But when angry and mean is coming to you, if you can, by the Spirit of God, translate that into kindness and justice, making sure everybody's taken care of, and mercy. Watch how that kind will beget kind. Let me just tell you this. You are not a thermometer that just reads the temperature. You are a thermostat that can change the temperature in the room. I have in my office a thermometer that Pastor Holly gave to me some years ago. And I went and bought a thermostat and hooked it onto the wall. It's not attached to anything, understand. It's not attached to anything. It's just for me to remember, I'm not a thermometer. I'm a thermostat. I don't just feel the temperature. I can change the temperature. And there's a sweet woman who was doing a small group in my office a couple of years ago. And she's like, hey, Pastor, the thermostat's broken in your office. I was like, thermostat? I didn't know I had a thermostat in my office. She's like, I kept turning it up and it didn't get any warmer. I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's not, it's not connected. And that's just for me to remember that I can change the temperature in the room. You can change the temperature in your room. You can change the temperature in your marriage. Well, she would just, no, 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 we. You can change the temperature of your relationship with your children. You can change the temperature with, the, with that person that you are ought with. You can change the temperature because kind begets kind. As they give something to you, you can give something else back to them. If you have your worship card, I'd like to read the benediction and Pastor Dan is just going to lead us in worship, let the Holy Spirit just do some ministry. But let's read the benediction together. Are you ready, church? May revelations of suffering in our world be allowed to show us ways and means to greater glory. May we allow ourselves to be transformed by God's Spirit in the midst of our suffering. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. Let's worship, church. Let's worship. Grace that flows like a Set me free. 
Church, go and stand with us. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing that together. Rescued me. You've rescued me. So I want to close with this, church. Jesus admits that his way is narrow. And we always interpret that, or many times people speak to that as if it's hard to get in. As if God is trying to restrict and constrict. But that goes completely against everything that Jesus ever did. I would submit to you today that the way of Jesus is narrow, meaning, have you ever tried to get through a narrow space where you just kind of, you got you to turn a little bit, you got to, I got it, don't, it's fine, no, don't move, don't, please don't be nice to me, I'm just going to scoot right through here. The way of Jesus is narrow, not because he's trying to restrict, to constrict who can come in, but that we have to enter into the Spirit of God and transform who we are, how we are operating by his grace, and say, yeah, yeah I, need, I need to maybe stop thinking about just myself. Yeah. I love my son. Asa, come here. He's like, no. This is my 14-year-old son. I'm really sweaty. That's what that was. But this is my 14-year-old son. I'm not standing in a hole. This is how I live. Okay? And go ahead. Put your wingspan out. Put your wingspan. Um, this is how he sits on a couch. Are you with me? And so I'm like, hey, buddy, can I sit? He's like, there's no room. Go ahead, sit down. No, my son's awesome. But we do that. There's no room for your idea. You got, now you got to go somewhere else. But the way of Jesus is narrow that maybe, just maybe, we need to change. Just, okay, maybe I need to make room for you. Maybe I need to make room for you. If you're here today and you want to accept Jesus or maybe you're streaming online, we'd love for the opportunity. You can text that number that we gave earlier. We're just getting an opportunity for prayer at this moment, a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. If you'd like to make that commitment to say, yes, I need something of me to die. I need something of God to come to life in my circumstance. Let's just pray that together, everybody, church. Jesus, I give you my life. Again, Jesus, I give you my life. If you made that commitment, we are so grateful that you prayed that prayer. And I'd love to talk with you immediately following the gathering. Just come up and find me. I will be in the 
connection center of the church. <laughs> but we'd love to pray with you, connect with you. If you prayed that prayer, you're online, just email info at lifechurchvirginia.com. We'd love to connect with you. But let's read this benediction together, church. Oh, now a breeze. Holy Spirit, there it was. And, and, and flowers. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to stay for three more hours, church. He's like, no, 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 pack it up. Let's read the benediction together, church. May revelations of suffering in our world be allowed to show us ways and means to greater glory. May we allow ourselves to be transformed by God's spirit in the midst of our suffering. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you so much. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.